It seems like Jesus always says, do not be afraid, just when he's about to drop a bombshell. There's a myth out there, maybe you've seen it on Facebook or Instagram, that the Bible says, do not be afraid, 365 times. According to the myth, that's one, do not be afraid, for every day of the year. It turns out by somebody who has actually counted it up, counted it up that the actual number of do not be afraid in the Bible is closer to 140. That depends on how you translate how many books of the Bible you consider to be legitimate, that's a contested issue, and that's a sermon for another time. The point this morning is that do not be afraid is all over the Bible, usually in the context of pretty scary stuff. Angels drop out of the sky, bushes are set ablaze in the desert, unexpected pregnancies happen to teenage girls. There is lots to be afraid of in the Bible. Here in Luke is no, is no different. Jesus has just finished telling his listeners not to worry about any of their daily sustenance needs. He says, consider the lilies of the field, they toil not, neither do they spin. Yet I tell you, King Solomon in all of his glory was not clothed like one of these. Don't worry, don't worry where your food's going to come from. Don't worry about your clothes. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and everything else will be given to you as well. And then Jesus takes it one step further. He says, sell everything you've got and give the money to the poor, and while you're at it, stop being afraid. Give up your stuff and gain a kingdom. That's the Jesus bargain. I am told by those who know more about this stuff than I do that the difference between fear, on the one hand, do not be afraid, and anxiety, on the other hand, Jesus says, do not worry about what you're going to eat or drink. The difference between fear and anxiety is that fear is a response to actual circumstances, right? Fear is a, is a fight-or-flight response. It's a rush of adrenaline and focus that accompanies, you know, a bear coming at you in the wilderness or a guy pulling a gun on you in a dark alley. Anxiety, on the other hand, worry, which is the word that Jesus is using to describe this unhealthy obsession with worrying about something, Worry and anxiety actually look physiologically pretty similar to fear. It's the same kind of body reaction. But anxiety happens in response not to an actual circumstance, but to anticipated or imagined circumstances, right? When, it, when a bear is coming lumbering at me in the wilderness, that's a real situation, and my body is actually, to keep me safe, telling me, turn your heels and run, right? But when I'm walking through the woods on a beautiful day, and I'm whistling to myself, and become convinced that around every bend in the trail, there is a ravenous bear waiting to gobble me up, that's worry. Right? That's anxiety. And according to Jesus, the amount of, of anxiety that I carry around with me will not add a single moment to my span of life. In fact, it might do exactly the opposite. Anxiety might actually start taking away my days. So Jesus has this actually kind of novel approach to dealing with anxiety, but with that fear related to anticipation rather than a response to an actual situation. Jesus says, if you're afraid, if you're worrying, about what might happen to you, what, happen, what, might, what might happen to me if I lose all my stuff, what might happen to me if everything is taken away from me. His control, Jesus' solution is to take control of that presenting anxiety and actually step into it, face it head on, on its own terms. You're anxious about losing your stuff? Jesus' solution is to give it all away. Sell your possessions, he says, give alms. Not because the poor need your stuff more than you do, that's probably true. But that's not actually the point that Jesus is making. If you have anxiety about material possessions, he says, generosity is not for the world's sake, it's for your sake. Make purses for yourself, he says. That's a, that's a weird way to translate that term into English. He's not talking about Hermes, right? Make purses for yourself. We might say money bags, make wallets for yourself, maybe make brokerage accounts for yourself that do not wear out. 
he says. Make for yourself an unfailing and unassailable treasure in heaven where no thieves will come to steal and no moths will destroy. We assume in those two things he's naming like the two major fears of stuff holders in the first century. One, that somebody's going to take my stuff away from me. And two, that if I don't store it properly, the moths are going to get it. I mean, these are people that don't have a lot, to, a lot of stuff to begin with, right? The material wealth among the crowds that Jesus is preaching to is like, you know, if you have two cloaks, give one of them away because you really only need one, right? So I shudder what Jesus would think if he were to open up my closet. What, what, what the heck are you doing with all of these cloaks? What do you need these cloaks for? And his advice is to give it all away, right? Not, not primarily because other people need it more than I do. That is doubtless the case. But Jesus advocates generosity and simplicity actually as a response to overwhelming fear and anxiety. Generosity is not something you do because you're a nice person. Generosity is a thing you do because you're a deeply anxious person. And generosity is actually the thing that sets you free from that. So I moved last week. Those of you who have downsized in, uh, in the past will resonate with some of this. I was downsizing from a 1,500-square-foot uh, 1, foot house in the suburbs to a um, 500-ish square-foot apartment here downtown. As some of you know, I've been kind of going through a, about three different Marie Kondoing purgings of my stuff. So I thought I had pretty much slimmed it all down to the bare essentials, right? But there's nothing like moving to remind you of how much you're actually still hanging on to that you probably don't really need, especially when you're downsizing to 500 square feet. So I bumped against that hard when I realized I was moving about 10 boxes of kitchen supplies. Um, and this is for somebody who does not cook. <laughs> like the one function hot chocolate pot from Williams-Sonoma, that I ditched a long time ago because we used it precisely never. But the IKEA juicer that I actually do, you know, use every time I need to make lemon juice, or, you know, the KitchenAid stand mixer that looked so right on my mid-century, you know, counter in Southeast, but doesn't make any sense in my modernist apartment. Or, and this was the real kicker, the, the bins full of exotic teas that I've picked up at various places over the years. You know about this, right? And I hang on to them because you never know when you're going to get a midnight craving for white peony peach from the Chinese scholar's garden, right? So Jesus' advice is to like Marie Kondo the heck out of my life, right? Not asking, does this spark joy? But actually Jesus' question is, does hanging on to this spark anxiety? And in a lot of tiny ways, I've realized as I've unpacked all this stuff and tried to cram it into like the three cabinets now available to me, I've realized it actually does cause me a lot of anxiety. In the same way, I suspect that, that the stuff that they had in the first century provoked anxiety for them. I worry about storing it properly. I worry that moths and ants and mice are going to get at it. I worry that, you know, my drawers and cabinets are burgeoning with stuff that I don't need. So why am I hanging on to it, right? Why am I, why am I compulsively acquiring and acquiring? What is it about me? And that kind of anxiety about anxiety just feeds into more anxiety, right? It's just this spiral of what's wrong with me, what's wrong with me. It's a nasty spiral. And there's a part of me that yearns to just throw everything out, and start fresh, right? Sell every kitchen gadget I own and give the proceeds to William Temple House or something like that. I mean, which is actually not a bad idea when you think about it. I mean, I don't know about you, my go-to when I sell a bunch of stuff that I don't think I need anymore is to use the proceeds to buy a bunch of new stuff <laughs> that I still don't need. But what if I break that cycle? Like, what if I invest my money differently? What if I break these patterns of ownership catch-and-release game that we play with physical objects, the commodification of my daily life, what would it look like 
If I took all the stuff that causes me anxiety to have and like threw it up in the air, metaphorically, obviously, if the stand mixer came falling down, it would ruin my floors. But you know, you get the idea, right? If I ditched the whole lot and started free with empty cupboards and shelves and closets, rather than filling them back up with newer, shinier stuff, what if I spent at least a little bit of that time in between, like retraining my instincts, retraining my heart, and redirecting my resources in some very different directions? After he's finished telling everybody to sell all their stuff, Jesus says, where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be also. When I was growing up, I heard that as kind of a, like a little moralistic warning, right? If you really love me, Jesus says, make sure you give your money to me. You know, make sure you give Jesus your, right, your sh- right, rightful share, give your money to the church or whatever. But now I hear those words less as a kind of moralizing dictum, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That's actually a pretty astute observation of human behavior, isn't it? Your heart, for the ancients, your heart was not so much the seat of your emotional life as it was like the seat of the will, right? The passions, the energy that gives you, where you make your choices, right? Your choices come from your heart. And your heart, Jesus says, actually follows your money. The stuff you invest in is the stuff that ends up defining you and your choices. Like, that's not moralizing to me. That's just like, that names my experience. That is just patently true. I mean, put another way, right? The way I would translate that, the stuff I spend money on is the stuff that I spend worry on. That's bad news, right? There's a lot of stuff to buy in this world. There's a lot of stuff to stress out about. But there's good news in this too. Because what Jesus is advocating, I think, in these, I mean, kind of demanding dicta about getting out from underneath the anxiety of having, what Jesus is suggesting, I think, is not a kind of severe asceticism so much as it is a kind of a a training program for hearts enslaved to having. I mean, you actually can retrain your heart away from the demanding disciplines of acquiring and maintaining stuff and towards the stuff you think might actually save you or at least make you a little bit less anxious. I mean, it's all a question of how I allocate my resources, right? If I want to be a a kinder, more considerate person, I mean, try tipping more, right? Tip more, tip generously, come back and tell me if that doesn't have an effect on retraining your instincts to pay more attention to people around you whose livelihoods actually depend very much on the tips that they get, and not just restaurant workers and servers, right? All kinds of people in a service economy who depend on the generosity of good tippers, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. One year during Lent, a friend of mine made a, made a practice of carrying around $10 bills with her wherever she went. She had, as many of us have, right, seen the kind of rise of homelessness on the streets of Portland. It was making her fearful, anxious, angry, judgmental. And rather than dulling her compassion and continuing to like shut off her concern, she wanted to see what would happen if she followed Jesus' advice literally. Like he says in, in Matthew, give to everybody who asks of you. I mean, even biblical literalists do not take that line literally, right? Give to anybody who asks anything of you. So my friend thought, okay, I'll try it. Treasure goes first, heart goes next. Not a huge dent dent in the pocketbook, right? But a significant way to retrain the heart, to learn how to pay attention, actually, to people who are living their lives in desperate ways, not just because of a lack of resources, but because they're living in a world that refuses to see them that chooses to look away because looking in the eyes of somebody asking for something is just too painful. That's what needs retraining, right? Money actually ends up being a really effective tool 
to retrain our ability to pay attention to other people. Which I think is like, you know, that's the way we're wired, right? For good or for ill. The stuff that we spend money on ends up being the stuff that matters the most to us. So the solution that Jesus is advocating is actually not stop spending money. Rather, it's spend your money wisely. Use your money as a tool for getting your heart into the right place. And it turns out you actually can do that. You can train your heart to move in the direction you want it to go. I don't know about you. I want my heart to move in the direction of like greater compassion and generosity and empathy and, and justice, not by throwing guilt money at problems to keep them at bay, but by deliberately, maybe even prayerfully, engaging in these kind of deliberate guerrilla acts of human investment. Because generosity, in the first instance, I think, is not something we do for the sake of the world. Generosity, I think, begins as a, as a means of retraining my heart. It makes me a little less material and actually a little more human. I mean, maybe anxiety in that sense is, is kind of a gift, right? Maybe it's like the canary in the coal mine that serves to warn me when my heart is getting so crammed full of stuff that I can't think about other people, that, I'm, that the stuff that I actually need to be paying attention to is being crowded out by the, all the other stuff, and I stop being a real human being. When I start treating other people like objects, when I start to think of myself as an object, right, as, like a, as a commodity to be bought and traded and sold, then I begin to lose the thing that makes me flesh and blood, the heart that beats warm and passionately inside my breast. So the gospel's concern with generosity is actually not about shaming us into giving money away. It's actually a means of reconnecting us to the stuff that makes us tick. And if my money can teach me that, if it can teach me how to become a human being again, then it's working for me and not against me. There's no point in becoming just another object in a world crammed full with objects. There's a reason you were created with a heart. So learn how to use it wisely and well.